Good morning. Man, I tell you what, I got such a good surprise today. My sister showed up today. Wave. This is my sister right there. She lives in Pittsburgh, but it's okay. Don't be offended. All right, I'm telling you, she's she's good. You know, what's your Super Bowl prediction for today? Is it going to be the Chiefs? How many people think it's the Chiefs? How many people think it's the Eagles? How many people are voting for the Eagles just because you are offended by the Chiefs? Yeah, absolutely you are. Some of you are just angry. You're offended that the Chiefs and the refs beat the Bengals a couple weeks ago, right? I mean, you're, you're just upset about that. Anybody else notice how angry and upset and offended we get so easily these days? I mean, is that you? Is that some people around you? And it doesn't matter if it's something small or it's something big. You know, just take a look around you. Everyone is offended. Everyone is angry. But when I look at people and I see how offended people are and how angry people get over some of the smallest things, I have to step back. And the question for us is this. What should our response as Christ followers be to all the division and the hatred and the anger that's around us. And we have to do some some soul searching to figure this out because a lot of us are caught in the crossfire of the offendedness and the anger and the hatred that's flying around. That's why we're starting this teaching series today. And we're basing this series on a book um, called Unoffendable by Brent Hansen, and some teaching from Craig Rochelle, and a whole lot of personal experience uh, going into this topic. Anyone else offended that someone would write a book called Unoffendable? (laughs) Yeah, why? Because I'm offendable. I mean, if you think people are unoffendable, then the reality is you don't know my friends, (laughs) because they're offended at a lot of things. You don't know the people around you. People in today's culture are loud, they're opinionated, they know everything, and if you're telling me that they're not offendable or they're unoffendable, then you've got to figure all that stuff out because it offends us by that. Now, I don't get offended very easily. I got pretty thick skin, I'm I'm, I'm a pretty tough personality, but if you say something about my wife, I'm going to be offended and it won't be pretty. If you start bashing on my kids, which has happened in the past, I'm offended, and it's not pretty. If you hurt one of my friends, I'm offended. If you criticize this church, I might be offended. I guess I'm not so easily unoffendable, right? I mean, I'm, I'm offended at a lot of stuff, and, and here's how this works. Over the next few weeks, I'm probably... I'm definitely going to offend you. When I told the teaching team we we're going to do this, this series, Joel was like, I'm not sure about that, Scott. I mean, even the title of this, No Offense, man, that, 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 that's going to turn some people away. And I said, that's exactly why we need to do this. That's exactly why we're going into the series, because if we can't talk about the way we feel and what we do and what God says about all of that, if we just keep sweeping everything under the rug, we'll never be the people that God needs us to be. Never. I'm probably going to offend you. 
with the goal of helping you to be unoffendable. It's the reality with this series, right? Our anger, even our unforgiveness, our offenses, everything that goes into who we are and what makes us up and, and kind of how we're living every day right now, it, it, it's pretty tough. That's where we get to the title for today. And the title for today's message is Stop Being Offended. Snowflakes. <laughs> Did I just offend somebody? I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. That wasn't in my... I just added that one. Anyway, here's what it is. Stop being offended. James 1 says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How you doing with that? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Does that describe who you are? I mean, to describe how you live, because we live in a culture where people just don't listen. But what we do is we react on what we think we hear. And so we jump in verbally, and we speak our opinions, and then people get easily offended, and people get angry, and we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I mean, you think about that, and you look at how Jesus lived his life. That's really how he lived his life. You know, as I was studying through the scripture this week, this just kind of hit me. How many questions do you think Jesus was asked in the New Testament? How, how many questions? A lot. That's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question. How many questions? He was asked 183 questions. Now, out of those 183 questions, how many questions do you think that he responded to? 183? 50 percent? 20 percent? 100 percent? What do you think? How many 50 percenters? How many 20 percenters? How many 100 percenters? He only responded and answered three of the 183 questions. Did he? Did he really respond? Did he answer the questions that were being asked him? He, in return, instead of answering questions, he asked 307 questions himself. That's a response. You're right. But he wasn't answering the questions. He was responding to them. Why? Because Jesus was always other people focused. Always. He was always focused on the people. He was quick to listen, but he was slow to speak. So he wasn't responding in anger. He wasn't responding from the gut. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Does anybody pop into your mind when I say the word angry? Is there a face that just kind of, yep, that's them. You know, that, that, that's who they are. When I say the word angry and people in my mind, there's a couple people that pop to my mind. Now, that shouldn't be that way. But it just works that way for, for me because I think about anger and these people are just always there. But the problem is all of us get angry. All of us respond out of anger and we're offended so easily with, with that. I, I mean, anybody else notice how culture has changed when it comes to anger? I mean, when I was a kid, anger was different than it is today. I mean, I mean it, just, it just was. Um, we used to be able to have opinions. You used to be able to have conversations. 
You used to be able to have debates. What happens today? If you say something that somebody doesn't agree with, immediately they try to shut you down. Immediately there's no debating. Immediately you're wrong. And immediately we speak our opinions and our minds. And it destroys the things around us. I mean, even if you don't agree with them, and if you don't agree, then you're wrong immediately because I'm right and you're wrong. And, and anger has always been there, but I think for the most part, it hasn't been as like red hot as it's been the last 5, 10, 15 years. I mean, it just, just hasn't been that way. I mean, even look at social media and look at how debated and angry people get on social media. We've got a beautiful, I've got a beautiful dog. Uh, this is my dog, Marcy. Now, Marcy is about a 100-pound giant schnauzer. We've got four dogs. The other three are my wife's. This is mine, all right? Just, just so you guys know, this is Marcy. And Marcy, we adopted her from a family from church that, that was moving to Florida, and, and I had never seen a giant schnauzer before. And that's because there are so few of them in the United States. There's only about 10 breeders and then you have some backyard breeders, which people will get into that in just a minute. But you've got, you know, just a handful of breeders. There aren't many of these dogs in the United States. And so Joellen and I, when we got Marcy, we joined a couple of giant schnauzer Facebook pages. And it, it's amazing to me because somebody will ask a question on the giant schnauzer Facebook page. They just join, they ask a question, and Joellen will text me, get ready for the fireworks. Because it doesn't matter what question is asked. Somebody's going to say, how dare you ask that question? How, how dare you own one of these beautiful, majestic, incredible dogs? You have no right to own one of these dogs. They're way too good for you. They're way too difficult for you. You should not have those. If you haven't raised one from a pup and bred them from championship bloodlines, you have no right to have one of these dogs. And then it just goes from there and it explodes. You, you know, I, I mean, it's like, oh, where was your dog bred at? Well, that's a backyard breeder. You can't have that dog. That dog's going to die in three years. Why in the world would you want to have a dog like that? And it's like, come on, people. I love my giant schnauzer. She's incredible. As a matter of fact, if you come to my house, she's going to come out and greet you before I do. And a hundred pound muscular dog with a big bark is going to charge you. And then she'll lick you to death. Okay, that, that's how she works. I don't know that she would attack anybody if they were attacking us. But she's going to come out and greet you and scare you to death. That, that's who she is. But it's amazing how people are so haughty and like, oh, you cannot own. No, 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 you can't do that. No, that's not appropriate. It's like, really? I'm going to raise this dog as my child. I think I'm good to do that, right? I've raised three boys. I've got this. But it's like every group that I'm on on Facebook is similar to that. I own a few Martin acoustic guitars. And because of that, I joined a Martin acoustic guitar Facebook page, right? And it's the same thing, the same thing. Somebody comments on there, oh, you know, I'm thinking about owning a Martin. Can you play 72 different chords? Can you play them all without hesitation? Can you say, can you play this song and this song? If you can't, you don't deserve to own a Martin guitar. You're not good enough to own a Martin guitar. Don't you dare think about buying a Martin 
guitar. And then it goes to where was that Martin guitar made? It was made in Mexico. How dare you buy a Martin guitar made in Mexico? And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. It's a guitar. And I love Martin guitars, but it's a guitar. But we have these opinions, and then we get angry, and then we get, get offended because, because people are doing something that we don't agree with. And then there are all the Christian and cultural and personal things that we put out there that we have to be offended by because we defend them to the death. Now, we all have passions. We all have issues. We all have feelings. And we feel like everyone should feel exactly like we do. And we get upset when somebody feels differently than we do. And we take a stand. We say, stand with me on this. This is the only way this can be. Stand with me on this. Let's set things right. I have people that come at me all the time. And as a pastor, I understand this and I'm okay with this. But they say things like this. If you're really a Christian, you would take a stand on this one issue. If you don't take a stand with me on this one issue, you're not a Christian. Those are exact words that I get spoken to all the time. Why don't you speak about this? Why don't you take a stand on this? You're not a Christian if you don't. Friends, you know there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of issues out there that we could all take a stand on, but you get angry about your issue because you're passionate about it. And then you start spreading the anger to other people because they're not angry about the things that you're angry about. And because they're not angry about the things that you're angry about, then they're not good enough to even be your friend. Have I offended any of you yet? Because that's some of you. That's most of us. Here's part of the problem. There are people who like being angry. Is that you? People like being angry. And when we're angry, what do we do? We seek out other people to be angry with us. Because we want them to feel like we do. We want them to to, to be angry with us. and, and, And it perpetuates more anger. And we feel morally superior because we're angry, because we're right, and everybody else is wrong. Because we're just a little bit better than everybody else. Can you picture God looking down on us? Going, what are you guys doing? Why are you so angry? I didn't create you to be angry. I didn't create you like this, but yet that's the path that you've chosen to take. Let me ask you this question. How effective is your anger? For those of us that are angry, and I get angry at times, that's part of my personality. How effective is your anger? How's that working out for you? Is it making you more like Jesus? Is your anger pointing people to the life and freedom and joy that's found in Jesus? Is your anger making you more loving? Is it drawing other people into a life of hope and purpose and freedom? The honest answer is no. It's just not. Let's look at James 1 again. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
Our anger, no matter what it's focused on, no, 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 matter what, no matter what you think you're doing with it, God does not desire that. And it doesn't matter if it's aimed at the small things or aimed at big things or, or aimed at, at things politically or aimed at things that are happening in our culture that are, we consider sinful or aimed at the lady that cuts you off in traffic. Doesn't matter. Whatever it is, our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And I know you're sitting there thinking, come on, Scott, you don't understand. My anger is a righteous anger because I am angry over sin. And you know what? That might be true, but don't, don't miss this. Whenever we're angry, don't miss this. Whenever we're angry at someone else's sin, it's always about someone else's sin. It's never about ours. We're not angry about our sin. We're not angry about the things that we do that are ungodly. We're only angry at somebody else's sin because we can see that. Have you noticed that? I mean, if we're real honest, I don't know, maybe righteous anger is more like self-righteous anger. And that needs to change. Because as Christians, it's really easy to criticize somebody else's bad language but we miss our own moral superiority and pride, which is as big of a sin, right? It's the same thing. We, 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 we can judge somebody else's sexual sin because when we see those and we know those, we judge those, but we ignore the fact that we go through McDonald's four times a week eating the most unhealthy food possible, and that's called gluttony but yet we don't condemn ourselves for that. It's only what we see in other people. Have I offended you yet? Have I? I'm coming for everyone. So if you're not offended yet, hold on, because I'm going to get to you. We tend to think that our anger is justified. Why? Because it's our anger. It's what we know. It's what we believe. It's what we see. It's ours, and we need to decide how effective that is. Are you drawing people to the grace, love, and forgiveness of Jesus? Because that's our goal. Are, are, you, are, are you building your marriage because you're angry all the time? Are your, do you want your kids to emulate how angry you are? Is that going to develop them into the godly people that they need to be? I'm guessing no. Now, we need to decide, again, when we, when we get angry, do we want to make a point or do we want to make a difference? One is a short-term goal, and the other is a long-term objective. Make a point or make a difference. You've got to decide that. I, I mean, if you want to make a point, just keep being angry. If you want to make a point, just keep spouting out what, you, what you're angry about and how bad people are and how this one thing needs to change. If you want to make a point, just keep doing that. If you want to make a difference, then you need a different attitude and a different philosophy to deal with the stuff that's wrong all around us. And there are thousands of things that need to change around us. So quit letting your feelings and your emotions direct your actions because that's what most of us do. Instead, we need to let the Spirit of God direct who we are, what we say, what we do because we're not just trying to, to win an argument. As Christ followers, we're trying to win people to the grace, love, mercy, forgiveness of Jesus. 
That is our long-term objective. Winning the argument doesn't win the war, but winning people to Jesus does. In Matthew 27, a guy was asking Jesus a question, and this was one of the questions that Jesus actually answered. He said, so tell me, what's the most important thing? And Jesus said, really? You, you want to know what the most important thing is in this life? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is, is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The law and all the prophets hinge on these two commandments. If you want to know what's important, love God with everything that you are. Everything that you have. Everything. And then love the people around you just like you would love yourself. Treat them with compassion and goodness and mercy and grace just like you do yourself. Guess what? You don't have to be angry to do that. Matter of fact, you can't be angry and do that. You have to ask yourself, can I be angry and show consistent love and grace to people? Can you do that? The answer is no. When you think about it, Jesus never told us that we have to be right, which is what making the, 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 the kind of point is. I'm, I'm making this point because I'm right. Jesus never told us we had to be right, but he did tell us that we had to have grace and love for people. I want you to be loving. Make a point or make a difference. It's your choice. Now, that's not easy for me. And there's part of this teaching and the study that we've just done, and and it's like, you know what? I want to say I like righteous anger because that's who I am. My personality is type A. I like going after things. I like changing things. I like making things happen. That's my personality. I like fighting against injustice in this world. And that feels good to me until I start really digging in to the scripture and seeing what Jesus wants me to do. You know what that is? He wants me to love people. He wants me to love people. He wants me to make a difference by loving the people, no matter who they are. If you're angry, you are not going to accomplish what you want to do. The people making the biggest difference in the world are not the angriest people. I mean, look at the Bengals-Chiefs game a few weeks ago. All right, look at that game. If Joseph Asai, the player at the end of the game, had kept his cool, If Joseph Asai just didn't let his anger get the best of him and he didn't hit Patrick Mahomes out of bounds, guess what? The Bengals might be in the Super Bowl today. Might have cost a little bit of money to the refs too, but the Bengals might have been in the Super Bowl today. If there's an effective police officer, and I am 110% behind the police, I love them, I support them, I'm encouraged by what they do. We couldn't live in this society without them. I am 110% behind them. But listen, if there's an effective police officer, it's not the guy that's angry. It's the man or woman officer that can go into a scenario and a situation and calmly disarm the emotions that are there. That's the person that makes the biggest 
difference. It, it just is. That's the person that, that, that you want as a police officer. So as disciples of Jesus, how do we do battle against the forces of darkness that are all around us? What do we do? The way to do battle is to lead with love, not lead with anger. Because we're not just trying to make the point. People are never changed by anger. Never. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what scenario you're in. People are never changed by anger and accusations and judgment. Never. You're not going to change anybody, especially in this culture, by going down on the street corner with a big black Bible and thumping it on the street corner, telling everybody they're going to hell. Why? Because that doesn't work in this culture. People tune you out as an angry, opinionated, offended person that they don't want to be around. Now, are some of those things true? Yeah. Some of those things are true, and we need to take notice of them. But the way to make those things known to people that don't know Jesus is not to be angry and not to beat that Bible. Maybe you want to give the Holy Spirit a chance, because that's His role to be in somebody's life and change them from the inside out. Maybe you want to love somebody, listen to somebody, encourage somebody so that they know that they can trust you because if they can't trust you, they don't want to hear what you have to say. Maybe you give the Holy Spirit a chance by simply loving them. Don't miss this. I mean, don't miss this, please. I have incredibly strong opinions. Again, that's just who I am. And I struggle with this. But I don't want my opinions to overrule what I know God wants me to do. Which is to love unconditionally. That's what he wants me to do. So how do we let go of this anger? How do we let go of the anger of the people that aren't doing what we think they should be doing and aren't living the way that we think they should be living and are living outside of God? What, what, what do we do for those people? Well, here's the first thing, is we have to lower our expectations. We just have to lower them. Anybody know who Steve Trevino is? He's a comedian that talks a lot about his wife. He, he's really funny. And uh, he, he says this. He says, to all you women in your 20s who are single... Listen to me, because I want you to be happy faster, all right? He says this, lower your expectations. He, he, he goes on to say, he says, you're not a princess. Your father lied to you, which I thought was pretty funny. And she goes, well, I'm going to marry somebody rich. And he says, yeah, probably not. You're probably not going to marry someone rich. But if you really want to be rich, rich in the things that matter, find a real man, a family man, a man that wakes up every day and goes to work, and you will be happy, and you will be rich in the things that matter. And you young girls are saying, I like that, but can he also have abs? Trevino says, no, real men don't have abs. They have one ab, and it's a belly. That's what they have. They don't have time to make abs. They have time to work and, and come home to you. And I think that's pretty funny. Lower your expectations of what you expect from people. Now, I'm not saying that about your marriage partners. Keep those expectations high. But I'm saying about people around you. Because here's the truth about people. Someone's going to lie to you. Someone's going to let you down. Someone's going to betray you. 
Someone's not going to show up. Someone's not going to say thank you for what you did for them. Someone's not going to call you back. Someone that you've been there for is not going to be there for you. And do you expect anything different than that? They're people. And instead of saying, I can't believe she did that, or I can't believe he did that, or I'm shocked at that, as Christians, we need to remember that we're all sinful. We all do things that we don't want to do that aren't good. Here's the description, 2 Timothy 3. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And are you shocked that somebody didn't call you back? Because that describes who we are. People will let you down. Craig Rochelle says this. I think this is really important. When I let you down, promise me that you won't say God's not real and promise me you won't say the church betrayed you because the church did not betray you and God is still real. What happened was a human being let you down. It wasn't God and it wasn't the church. A sinful person that wasn't perfect let you down. So lower your expectations of people. Here's what I love about Jesus. He was never shocked by where people were. He goes to this well and a woman comes to draw water in the middle of the day and he starts up a conversation with her and he knows who she is. You know, she starts talking and he says, well, yeah, the guy you're with now is not your husband and you've been married actually five times before that. Your, your, your life's pretty rough. But he wasn't like, oh, get away from me. I don't want to be around you. I can't have a conver- conversation with you. I can't be friends with you. That's not what he did. He said, I understand. Life's hard. Life's been difficult for you. Here's some living water to help quench what's happening in your soul. If he had condemned her, what would have happened? It had been just like another day for her. Nobody understands. Nobody likes me. I don't care about people. I don't care about what you say. But because he showed her love and grace and mercy. She went back and told the whole town about him, about what he's done, about who he was, about how much he loves. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is when a woman is brought into the center of town accused of having an affair. Interesting, the guy wasn't there, that was cultural, but the girl's there. And all these guys are standing around, these religious leaders, these these people that felt like they were better than everybody else going, she needs to die because of that, that affair. That's not allowed. We need to stone her to death. And they're all picking up stones to throw at her and kill her. Jesus comes walking in and the religious leaders say, Jesus, what do you think? What do you think we should do with her? Now Jesus is so good. Because he bends down and starts writing in the sand. Didn't say a word. Again, he didn't answer the question. He just bent down and started writing in the sand. And what did he write? No idea. Someday, I hope I'm able to figure that out. Hey, what'd you write in the sand? Probably a whole line of us standing there asking the the same question. What'd you write in the sand? Maybe he was writing the sins that those guys had committed. 
the affairs that they had had, the sexual misconduct that they had had, the lying, the cheating, the stealing that they had done. Maybe he was writing their sins. And as they had rocks in their hands, they dropped them, and every one of those guys walked away. And the girl looks up, and Jesus says, where are your accusers? They're not here. So now what do you do? He says, I love you. I want you to be healthy. I want you to go and sin no more. Now what does that mean? Does that mean she changed instantly? Probably not. But it means that she felt the love of God for maybe the very first time in her life. So as you're offended by something happening out there, as you're offended by somebody's lifestyle, as you're offended by what somebody says and what somebody does, and you pick up a rock because you're going to destroy them, how about you look at yourself? How about you drop the rocks? And you thank God for the love and forgiveness that he's given you. That's the start to changing our culture. It's by loving people into a relationship with Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone online watching this. God, may you just search our hearts. May we be quick to listen and slow to become, to, to, to become angry. And, and just, just, God, help us to change our attitudes. Help us to change what we think we should be doing as Christ followers. Help us to be slow to speak instead of just blurting out what we think instantly. Help us to love people and see people the way that you do. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.